Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, June 25th, 2023 from the sermon series, A Map to Find Me, given by Pastor Chris Simmons. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of Acts, chapter 18, verse 26. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Well, God's grace, mercy, and peace are yours through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. As we begin today, we're talking about opening our homes as we go through this map. A map to find me. They broke bread together in their homes and ate together. I have a joke as we get started over here. A family was having some people over for dinner. At the table, the mother turned to her six-year-old daughter and said, Dear, would you like to say the blessing? I wouldn't know what to say, replied the little girl shyly. Well, just repeat what you hear your mom say when she prays, the woman said. Her daughter took a deep breath, bowed her head, and solemnly said, Dear Lord, why did I invite all these people over for dinner? I say that, and, and you laugh because there's part of that that's true, right? It is a monumental effort to open the doors of your house and to have people over for dinner. And you know it's true. It's just you got to make sure things are ready. you got to make sure you buy the food. you got to make sure everything is set. Opening our homes is no easy task, and that's for certain. Yet we read here this practice, this fundamental practice in the early church. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And I know you'll be surprised as we kind of take a look at this. This is a crucial step, right? This breaking down of the single verse that we're going to go through. Each point is just a part of this verse. And how we see Jesus, how it leads us to Jesus, and sometimes how Jesus is even just waiting on the other side of our doors just to be let in. So we'll talk about that as we kind of break it down. But the fact about opening our homes and opening our doors to one another. We'll start right away with our first point over here. So opening our homes. They broke bread in our homes. And we saw that in our reading today, Acts chapter 18, about Priscilla and Aquila. So as we talk about the early church and opening our homes, there's no better examples than Priscilla and Aquila. And I'll talk to you about them. We're going to kind of do, this is more like a Bible study kind of point over here. So we'll talk about them a little bit. Can you go to the next point for me? We'll go to the one that has all the writing on it. Well, the next one, right over there. So Priscilla and Aquila, about them in particular, you read about them a lot in a variety of epistles. And some of you might be like, this might be the first time you've heard of them. Well, cool. They're like in my top five, on, top 15 Bible people. There's a lot of people in the Bible. But they're really, they're really a great, unique couple. Because see, Paul meets them, and you saw in Acts chapter 18, as uh, he pulls into Corinth. And he saw them, and you kind of see that in that first one. Uh, let me see, is it the first one? No, it's a little bit later. Over there, right? Uh, Paul went to see them and he stayed and worked with them as he finds this wonderful Christian couple. They're also tent makers. In fact, you could see how much Priscilla and Aquila actually traveled around a lot of the modern world at that time. Can you go to the map for me? So you could see they start in Pontus, right, because he was a Jew from Pontus. Pontus, as you kind of see modern-day Turkey, you could see right at the northern part of that, north, and that's east over there. You can see where it says Pontus. Then they travel all the way to Rome because, you see, they come from Rome. Oh, is that a little, yeah, go ahead and point at it for me. 
Rome in Italy, right over there. So you see Italia over there. So they make it all the way to Rome, and then they go to Corinth, right? So because Emperor Claudius kicks out all the Jews, exiles all Jews out of Rome. They go to Corinth, where you see where modern-day Greece is, right where that little strip of land kind of connects that island. There's Corinth right over there, and that's where they meet Paul. So then they travel with Paul to Ephesus. Ephesus, if you go across the sea right over there, do you see where it says Asia? And that's kind of that western side of Turkey. You'll see a little dot, and that says Ephesus right over there. So they end up in Ephesus with Paul. Paul leaves them behind. That's where they meet Apollos, actually, and they teach him about Jesus and kind of the, everything that happens after the baptism of John. And after that, they go, okay, well, we've had enough of Ephesus. We're going back to Rome. And they make it all the way back to Rome. And they're not exactly racking up sky miles on their Delta credit card. All right? They are. They're taking boats. They're hoofing it. They're walking. They're, they're, they're taking donkey back or whatever animal back they are taking to get around on pieces of land. This is a lot of traveling, not just for us today, but imagine kind of in the ancient world, you know, the first century, how they got around. That's a lot of traveling, but it's also for the sake of the gospel. If you can go back to the slide that had all the writing on there for me, Pam. About, thank you so much. So you see a lot of what's going on here about this couple in the early church, but in particular, how they opened up their homes everywhere they went. You see in the first one, I think that one's from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, right? The churches of Asia, Paul writes to the people of Corinth, send you their greetings. So right now the churches of Asia, you saw that was in Ephesus. Aquila and Prisca, which is the other name for Priscilla, together with the church that meets in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord, right? So you already can see right there, they're opening the doors of their house and the church is meeting in there. So at this time, they didn't have church buildings like we do today, of course, right? In fact, uh, Christianity wasn't a, uh, a recognized religion. In fact, it was outlawed eventually with Emperor Nero. That's when, like, the Christians were thrown in the gladiator pits and eaten by lions, or they were uh, in, uh, burned at the stake in, like, his backyard for, for parties and entertainment and things like that in Emperor Nero's uh, era. So they'll see pretty soon the persecution that's going to happen. So that's pretty risky business, just opening your doors so the church can meet in your home. Then that second point, you could see Paul went to Corinth, right? Native of Pontus, that's where he meets over there, who's from Rome. And guess what? He stayed and worked with them. So you can kind of see there that Paul's staying with them again as they open up their home. And you kind of see again with Apollos, they don't go to Apollos when they find out he's not preaching quite all the gospel on the street and get a megaphone and start yelling at him saying, hey, Apollos, actually you're missing a big point. What do they do? I'll give you a clue. It's bolded in white and underlined. They invite him into their home, which again, he's out there preaching in the synagogues about Jesus. That's still pretty risky. So they bring them into, they bring Apollos into their home. And guess what? He writes to the church that's in Rome, right? And that's where that letter of Romans is addressed to over there. So he says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ. They risked their lives for me, not only I, but for all the churches and the Gentiles are grateful to them. And greet also, guess what? The church that meets in their home. We see this time and time again, the generosity and the openness of their home as the church comes in. So sometimes, as you kind of see right over here, especially in the ancient world, they met a lot in homes. But it was also very risky to meet in homes and dangerous. Yet, when they opened their doors, not only did people come in, but Christ was present in their midst as they worshipped and they came together in their homes. And I tell you all this because just as we kind of take a look at uh, breaking of bread and, and dining together with, with glad and sincere hearts, too often we come up with every reason not to have people over. Am I right? 
Way too often. It's because my house isn't big enough. It's because my landscaping isn't quite done. Sometimes it's because I have kids. Are they there? Okay, I can talk about them. So sometimes it's because I have kids, and every step they take, there's a mess. I don't know how it happens. It falls off of them. Uh, They just make a mess wherever they go. They have toys, and there are toys all over the ground. I can't have people here. Look, my house is dirty. Look at my baseboards. And you guys are know, as I say it, the nightmare appears in your head. You're like, ah, my baseboards, they're so dusty. My baseboards are dusty. There's no way I can have people over. Because we feel like things have to be Instagram perfect, right? Like those pictures I showed you. They have to be Instagram perfect in order for me to have anybody over. Because I think it's a lot about me when I have somebody over and what they think of me. When in fact, it's not about that at all. When you take a look at Aquila and Priscilla, right? If it was all about them and they were waiting for the perfect opportunity to have people over, it's not going to work out too well for them, is it? How often did they have the perfect circumstances, you think, to have people over in their home? Probably not all that much. You you saw how much they moved around, right, on that map. Uh, Let me give you a clue. Real estate was not like a booming business in the first century. In fact, uh, people inherited their homes. So every time they moved, let me give you another clue, their career was what? Tent makers. Right? They were tent makers alongside Paul. So where do you think the church was meeting? In their tent. Talk about dirty baseboards. Right? You're living in a tent. And I'm not even talking about opening the doors of your home. You're opening the flaps of your home. Right? To let people in. They would never have the most perfect or ideal circumstances. Yet what? They opened the door of their home, and let people in. Because too often we have all those opportunities to say, everything has to be perfect before I let somebody into my, into my house. And we say this, too often we ask for God to open the door. And you've heard those phrases before, right? When God closes a door, he opens a window. Or, or when, um, you know, I'm just waiting to see, uh, I'm waiting for God to open a door so I can know which one to walk through. I'm going to give you a, a big clue, Right? You're living as the redeemed people of God. You've already been redeemed by Jesus Christ, set free from sin, death, and the power of the devil. You can open the door yourself, right? You're already redeemed. So when God's saying there, he's like, all right, well, I'm waiting for God to open the door. God's saying, you can open the door. And guess what? I'm on the other side of it, and I got a whole bunch of people I want to bring into your house. And I want you to meet them, and I want you to grow in faith, and I want you to grow in community because I will be present there in the midst of them. And I will be present there with you. You know, we talk about this road map, right? It's a map to find me. Isn't it so funny that sometimes that map just leads you to your own door and you just have to open it? And you see Jesus just on the other side. Because those perfect circumstances that Priscilla and Aquila never had, what they did have was a love for Jesus. And therefore, a love for God's people. Because that was the purpose of Jesus. That's why he came, and that's why he came to redeem us. His purpose and pleasure was in people, redeeming the people of God. So because of their love for Jesus, they had a love for people. And I want you just to kind of consider for a moment, because waiting on the other side of that door, if it's Jesus, do you think when Jesus walks through your door, the first thing he's going to say is, look at these baseboards. I told them in a vision, in a dream, to clean these baseboards, (laughs) right? No, not quite. And guess what? When the people of God walk through your door, uh, you shouldn't. First of all, this is scolding. Don't do it. But second of all, I I can tell you genuinely, that is never the first thing I've ever thought walking into someone's house. Look at these baseboards. Or look at these kids' toys on the floor. Or, oh my gosh, this house looks like people live in it. You know, look at the dishes over there. No one ever thinks that. What you think, in fact, you don't even think first. You feel first. 
Oftentimes, you come to someone's house and you feel the care. Wow, I can't believe someone, thank you so much for having me. Wow, thank you for letting me into your home. You feel the care, you feel the welcoming, you feel the generosity, and you feel the love. You feel the love because you feel the sacrifice. Because I know I'm speaking to some adults in here, and then people kind of in an age range, I'll tell you, you'll learn one day, it is work to have people over, and oftentimes it is a sacrifice to have people over. And that takes us to point two right away, that when you have people over, sacrifice deepens relationships because they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And we'll take a look at how Jesus institutes communion during the Passover. Here's a clue. If you want to see if something's important in the Bible, if it's in all four Gospels, it's really important. I mean, everything's important. It's God's Word. If God said it, it's very important. But if they're going to repeat it four times, you probably should really read it um, in every single instance, every single time, because every single instance has something a little bit different about it. We'll talk about that in a second, but sacrifice deepens relationship. I mentioned just a little bit ago, I was in Chicago for 10 days. I got to see my parents, got to see people I grew up with, got to see uh, my wife's family that lives in central Illinois. It was a lot of fun. But our home base, for a lot of reasons I won't get into now, we can't stay at my parents' house. Um, so we stay, um, when I was in the dance business, I, I made a friend, and uh, that, that friend, we've been great friends for, for a long time, over a decade now, my goodness. Um, but we stay at his two-bedroom apartment. And uh, he's a bachelor, 35 years, years old, ladies, he knows how to dance, I'm just telling you. If you need, I will ship him in for you. But um, uh, he's a 35-year-old guy with a two-bedroom apartment, and he just sleeps in his living room because well, he doesn't need anything. So he gives us a room and, and, and all the beds. We move everything into and we set up home base, right? And you know, I'll tell you what, when our kids were younger, it was really easy because, you know, all the babies, you know, and then they go to sleep, and it's all fine. My kids are, are now four and almost seven, and they are, you know, wild. And, you know, so he works late into the night and gets up late in the day. My kids wake up at 5 a.m., even in Chicago for some reason. They're like, woo, let's party. And I'm like, you're, you're trying to keep him quiet. You're like, shh, shh, shh. You know, he's sleeping, he's sleeping. You, know, you got to go over here. You try and put him outside, but they're not like dogs, so you got to bring them back in because uh, they go potty inside and all these different things. You're trying to manage them. I'm telling you this, day one, we used all of his toilet paper and all of his paper towels. <laughs> day one, we weren't even there for, for hours. So we used all that, and then we left, and we didn't, and there was nothing left, and he woke up that day, and I apologized in a text message. We were trying to get some, and I, I shipped, if you want to know the end of the story, I did ship him some on Amazon uh, after, after we got back, and to make up for it, it was three-ply. I told him, I'm like, it's three-ply for your comfort. Uh, I'm sorry that we never got toilet paper when we were at your house. But I, I'll tell you the truth, it was a challenge. Because I'm like, I'm trying to keep them quiet. We ate all his food. I, one night I ate all of his Oreos. And uh, I'm like, oh, man, you know, this is going to be rough. So finally, the last day we're there, I'm going to talk to him. And I'm like, I'm kind of, it's funny, I'm trying to let myself down easy. Because I'm like, we were a burden. I'm like, we were definitely a burden. I got to give him an out here. I got to say, like, thank you so much for hosting us. I know this is going to be the last time you do this. And I wanted to just say thank you. So I go to start talking to him. And I'm, I start that speech. Hey, thanks a lot for hosting us. I really appreciate it. We really didn't have anywhere else to go for this trip. Um, I know it's been a burden on you. And he, inter he interrupts me. And he says, thank you so much for bringing your family here. I know it's got to be kind of weird, like staying in a two-bedroom apartment when you're used to a house, but it really means a lot to me that you choose to bring your family here. Thank you, and I'm sorry that I didn't take more time off so I could be with your kids. And I'm like, bro, you know, that one of those moments, like, 
And you talk about my kids, now you got me, right? And it was just that moment of the sacrifice deepens a relationship. Just those things bring us more together. I'm like, man, I had no idea you felt that way. And it's that idea of, of loving another, you know, at, even at your own expense. And I bring that up because as we take a look at communion, right, as Jesus brings us back into Passover and we, and we look at this meal, the meal that we get to celebrate today, that's the wonderful beauty of it. And we look at that, we, we really learn from this meal is that the sacrifice deepens our relationship. As Jesus says, I sacrifice of myself my very own body given for you, my very own blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins so you could be with me for all eternity. Jesus, and we read this in Luke, eagerly desires to have this Passover meal with his disciples. He eagerly desires to give this gift to us, to share of himself so that we could call him brother, so that we could call him friend, so that we could call him Lord, so that we could call him Savior. He eagerly desires to have this meal with us. He eagerly desires to share of himself with us. He eagerly desires to sacrifice in order to deepen his relationship with us. And if you know a lot about these Greek words, I'm sorry for kind of repeating them a lot, but you know, there's like the four loves. You read that in C.S. Lewis, his four loves, um, and the four Greek words commonly used for love in Greek, but one of them's agape, right? That agape word about uh, the divine love we associate a lot with Christ, that sacrificial love. Love at the, my expense for the sake of another. Love that's not associated with feeling or attraction, but it's all um, grace-based. I give of myself for your sake in order to build you up. That's what that kind of love, that's what agape love is. And I bring that up to you because we read this as Jesus has this meal in John chapter 15. He says this to his disciples. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friend. My command is this. Love one another. And I bring up that agape word for you there because guess which word in the Greek is used for love in that section of John? It's agape. It's that love of giving of yourself for the sake of another at a cost and expense of yourself to benefit someone else. The divine love that's perfected in Christ for our sake. That although it it may be dimly mimicked, we still reflect that in the way that we love one another as Christ commands us to. And I tell you that because honestly, when you focus on, on bringing people in your home and opening the doors, oh, when I focus on the sacrifice of it, what the cost is going to be, I get anxious about it. You know, I get worried about it because there's the cost of groceries. You know, there's the cost of the time it's going to take to prep a meal. There's the cost of the ask. You know, that idea, it takes, it takes a bold move to ask somebody to come to your house and then hope that they're, you know, not going to judge you. It takes a, a, a second to look at your baseboards and go, am I going to get to those this time? And, and you don't, but you think about it for one second. You know, it takes, uh, there's a big cost associated with all that. And when all you do is focus on the cost, that anxiety begins to build. But when all you do is focus on the cost, there's something that you're missing. Because what you're really missing is the fact that you're actually going to have to take a night. Even for an evening, the real cost is going to be this. I have to lay my own life aside. Even if it's for a night. But I have to lay my own life aside for the sake of another. My wants, my desires, maybe the things that I'm looking to get, I lay my own life aside for the sake of a friend. That's the cost. But when all we do is focused on the cost and the sacrifice, if all you ever do is focus on the death 
of Jesus, you never see the resurrection. You never see what that cost bought. And when you go back, again, you look at this meal that Jesus instituted. He eagerly desires to have it with his disciples. And there's great joy and there's gladness that Jesus has when he gives us and we get to share in his gifts right over here. Eternal life with Jesus? I mean, do you think he's glad about that? Absolutely. He has to be. He'd be like, ah, you know, I I know Chris. I think I changed my mind on that guy. Uh, No, there's an eagerness and a love in which he gives of himself. And the gladness we get to share. So when I tell you about that sacrifice, that agape love, to open your doors for the sake of another, you can see Christ. It leads us to Jesus in the way we love one another as he's loved us. Even in those moments. And I know it's a much smaller sacrifice than what Jesus did for us. But it's a way in which we can love one another. And I'll bring you to this third point over here. The other reason that we do this is because we miss out on the joy and gladness. Because being with people is fun. Right? If you've had dinner with friends over and you just kind of go, oh, you know, and I'm an introvert. I'll tell you that upright. That's how you get your energy. Like, I love everybody. I'm very social, but I get tired after a dinner party. But sometimes you go, oh, I'm going to be so exhausted. It's going to cost me so much. You never forget the gladness and the fun and the eagerness because we're called to care for one another, enjoying the favor of all the people. And Jesus says it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And this point three, it's kind of like the final point, four, point four, it's kind of a wrap up. But as we look over this, we're all sick in need of care. Um, can I tell you this honestly? Doesn't food taste better for some reason when somebody else makes it for you? Right? And I'm not just talking about a restaurant. I'm talking about a home-cooked meal. When you go to somebody's house, it's like, man, I don't know, I make lasagna all the time. But when you make lasagna, I don't know what's different about it. They say there's psychological reasons, like when you control the ingredients, you have a, an, uh, a mental expectation of what things are going to taste like, so you'll always be disappointed. I know that's weird, but then what, what about when I go to restaurants? Why, why do I not have that same experience when I go to a restaurant compared to when I go to somebody's home? And that's because that's all baloney. The real reason is you can taste the care that someone puts into when they make a dish with you in mind. Right? When they're cooking with you in mind, they know they're going to have you over and they take that shopping and all that time and they take that care and the way they arrange the ingredients and the way they cook for you, you can taste the way that they care for you. And I tell you this, you know, you do Gary Chapman's Five Love Languages and stuff like that. My, my, my primary one is giving and receiving gifts. I love that. And it's not because I like stuff. What I really love about it is I like to give people gifts, but I love it when I receive a gift, what it reminds me of. And I think of I'm like, wow. You actually thought of me when I wasn't around? You thought of me when I wasn't standing in front of you? That really means a lot to me. That makes me feel like you care. That's what I love about it. I tell my wife and my kids, I'm like, just write it on a piece of notebook paper when I'm not around. I don't need stuff. But the thought that I, you thought of me when I wasn't around really means a lot. It's the same thing with food. You had a lot of care that even when I wasn't around, that really is something special. That's why I feel like the food tastes better. And we go back to our gospel reading today. After Jesus calls Matthew, right, and they're having a dinner party, you know, all the sinners and tax collectors are there, the Pharisee and the teachers of the law, they walk by. They see what's going on. They're going uh, to his disciples and Jesus, hey, Jesus, why are you eating and drinking with sinners and tax collectors? And we heard that line already, right? It's right there on the screen for you, Luke uh, chapter 5. What he says is, well, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And I say this because in many ways we are all those people that are sick and need care. We are all in need 
of care because there are in ways in which we're spiritually lacking, in which we're, we're spiritually ill, uh, ways that uh, mentally and emotionally we feel crippled or lame or blind, and we're all in need of the cure that Jesus has. And I, I put it in that intro so you're not shocked by it because what's part of the remedy that Jesus has for it? A banquet. Because Jesus says there's nothing quite like having a family dinner. Right, having a family dinner with your immediate family, but I'm talking about the family of God. In fact, go ahead and put up the next slide for me. This is just a list of what uh, the benefits there are from Stanford and Harvard Graduate School, Stanford Medicine, the benefits of having dinner together as a family. I won't read them all for you, but I kind of want you to see them for the sake over here, right? Benefits for kids and adults, right? Better academic performance, higher self-esteem, greater resilience, lower risk of substance abuse, lower risk of teen pregnancy, lower risk of depression, likelihood of developing eating disorders. You kind of go down the line and you see all those. Then you see a couple for adults over there, right? Better nutrition with more fruits and veggies, uh, less dieting, increased self-esteem, all these really great benefits. And you're saying, well, Pastor Chris, that's really great, but, you know, that's like an immediate family, like your husband, wife, and like two kids around a square table. What does it have to do with having my doors open and having people come into church? And I want you to look at this list again, okay? How many of these, and there's not many, how many of these points actually have anything to do with the food that's on the table? Not many. Maybe two? Not many of these benefits have anything to do with the actual food on the table. What they have in common is this. They're all a matter of influence. They're all a matter of the way that we have an impact on one another as we gather together as people, as we pour into one another. Because you may think, I might invite people over and, I don't know, I'm not offering much. I'm great at ramen and uh, hard-boiled eggs that turn green right? You may feel like, I'm not offering much. Why would I have people over? Why would I open the doors of my house? It's not necessarily about the food on the table. It's about the way that we influence one another, the way that we pour into each other, even that bit respite, but it's also having the presence of Christ in our very midst. When you see all that and you pour into each other, we don't realize often the influence we have on each other. As I was on Thursday, I was driving down with a a friend of mine that I went to first grade with all the way through high school, and we we still get along great. It's one of those people that, like, when you get back together with them, it's just like you never missed a beat, right? And we're, we're, we're driving, and we ended up talking about, like, ninth grade English. And I talked about my ninth grade English teacher. His name was Mr. Fuller. I doubt he'll ever find this sermon online. I used his name. I hope you find it. But uh, Mr. Fuller, I haven't talked to him at all. Never talked to him even after my freshman year English class that I had for one semester with him. But he'll never know the influence that he had on me. Because often, like, when we talk about English class, right, he didn't talk about, like, how to write papers, like the MLA format and stuff. Well, he talked about what you were writing. It was so much focused on you and the way that you developed content. And that meant so much to me because I'd never had someone teach me that. And it was awesome. And, he, and Phil felt the same way. And I'm like, he'll never understand the influence that he had on us. But man, did he. And oftentimes, these times when we open our doors and we bring people into our midst and gather at the table, especially when we have Christ and his word present there and among us, You may never know the influence that you have on people at that table, but I'm telling you, this is just a very short one-slide list of the way you can have the smallest influence there. If you can go to the next slide for me, Hebrews chapter 10. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let me encourage you. 
right? To spur one another on, to meet around your table as a family with Christ present, to deepen those relationships and make space for Jesus at the table. Our final point over here, point number four, God loves food. Ta-da, right? God loves food, and I'm going to say it. That's why he makes it taste so good, right? I was going to have like a running slide of like steak and then pizza that I ate in Chicago and then steak again, (laughs) then maybe pizza, but definitely another steak, right? But it was just to kind of give you the idea that food tastes really good. And it's like, hey, God made food. But also, before God made food, Pastor Dringer mentioned this to me, God made us. And he said that we were very good. And God may love food, but he loves us and calls us his own. And he feeds us, doesn't he? Right? And we see throughout all of Scripture, right, uh, in the Old and New Testament, God comes and eats with his people. Not only does he give them food, like in manna and the quail, you know, you kind of see right before Sodom and Gomorrah, the angels of the Lord come and they sit and they have a meal together with Abraham. You know, it's, it's very cool. And then the New Testament, all the time, Jesus is bringing fish, he's bringing bread. They're out having barbecues. I don't know, maybe grilling fish, you know, on a charcoal fire. That's barbecue. Um, so charcoal fire barbecue. And then also uh, banquets, you know, Zacchaeus and Matthew's house. I got to tell you this, Jesus loves to party. He does. Not like party, you know. He loves to party, meaning he loves gathering his people together and being in the midst of them and sharing his gifts with them. That's the way Jesus likes to party. We see this on the road to Emmaus, Right? As God opens his home and shares a meal with us. The very last part. So again, you get the conclusion as we kind of go into, you know, Jesus is crucified. He takes all our sins upon himself. And he's died, goes all the way to the depths of hell to take on that full punishment upon himself for our sake. So we too are resurrected with him. Hallelujah, right? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen. In the middle of June, almost July. Isn't that so good? Right? Because when we have that, after he's resurrected, then he comes out and then he's, you know, out and about. And before he's revealing himself to everybody, he comes to a couple disciples on the road, the road to Emmaus. And as he's going with the disciples, is a very abbreviated version. They're like, oh, Jesus died, and we don't know what happened. Was he really God? And he's like, hmm. So they don't recognize him yet. And he reveals himself, as he says, from the prophecy of Moses all the way on as he walks with them. And their hearts burn within them, right, as we read the faith that's inspired within them. It's so good. So there's like, oh, you got to stay and join us for a meal. So they sit together, the three of them, for a meal. And this is what gets me every time. I think it's the coolest part of the story. It's this. They recognize Jesus when he breaks the bread. Right? The exact words are, Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And I'm like, that's Jesus. What is it about the way that he broke the bread that all of a sudden they recognized him? That's what gets me. Was it because it was so near like the Last Supper, right, that it was like, oh, my body given for you. Maybe it was that. Or maybe it was like he had a technique that was very Jesus-y in the way he broke the bread, you know. And you got to think about it like with the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, right? Maybe that's what brought them back. Oh, we saw him break bread so many times, time and time again. He fed thousands and thousands of people with, with bread and fish. Maybe that was it. But maybe they were thinking about, like, the, the, the party at Zacchaeus' house and the banquet at Matthew's house. Maybe it was the way that Jesus was just with his people. And that's what I think it was. I think it was yes to all the above because it was about Jesus gathering his people together and sharing with them his gifts because God opens his home and shares a meal with us. And we have that meal here, of course, as we partake of his body and blood. As we have this roadmap that leads us back, again, always to Jesus, and the way that we open the doors of our home is the way we open our church, the doors of our church, to welcome in people. He welcomes us to his table here as we participate in his body and his blood. Yet also, he shares with us 
his meal so that we too open the doors of our home. And we could share the meals that bring true, sustaining, everlasting life. And it might, you know, you may take and make a tasty lasagna or jambalaya, and you should share that too. But what I mean by that is we share his word. We share his gospel. We share his promises. And we share Jesus with one another. Because as we read, we see Jesus when we open our homes, as we break bread together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And to God be that glory now and forever. And all God's people said, amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org. And make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.